Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. Again, good morning. It is good to see each one of you here with us this morning. And I just want to uh, reiterate the invitation I gave this morning. If you're able, uh, after, the, after the service, after coffee and goodies, uh, to come out to Wilderness Camp, we would love to have you out there for our potluck. And uh, it's just a good time to gather together and to spend time fellowshipping. Uh, can I be honest with you? I really hope I can with this group, right? If I can't be honest with you guys, where can I be honest? Uh, sometimes the hardest part of, of preaching uh, isn't standing up here in front of you all. Uh, sometimes the hardest part of preaching is, is simply knowing what to preach on. I mean, right, the, the Bible is a big book. Where do you start? There is so much good stuff in here. And if we're, we're not going through a sermon series, it can be hard to know where to start. And so there's a, a, something called a lectionary, right, that helps a, a pastor with that. The lectionary gives suggested readings for each Sunday, an Old Testament, a gospel, and an epistle uh, lesson. And uh, that's uh, what Terry used. You read from this morning was the lectionary text. And, and it's not a, a hard and fast guide. Pastor Lloyd and I often uh, veer away from it, but, but it does provide a starting point uh, for where to preach from. And this morning's suggested gospel text made me uh, maybe groan inside, and I instantly wanted to preach on anything but this parable that we're going to look at this morning. Uh, the parable that Jesus teaches in Luke chapter 16 is probably one of the most misunderstood, the most confusing, and maybe the least studied of all of the parables. It's the parable of the dishonest manager. Uh, maybe your Bibles call him the shrewd manager. And this parable is difficult for us to understand because at first glance, as we read through it, it sounds like Jesus is praising a man for his dishonesty and for cutting corners. But this parable speaks of deeper spiritual issues that are going on. And a proper understanding has implications for every one of us this morning. In this parable, we discover that life is, is fleeting and temporary and we should treat it as such and that we should also use the gifts that God has given us and not miss out on eternal life. And so with that less than glorious introduction, let's dive into this parable of the dishonest manager and, and see what we can learn from this. Again, if you have your Bibles, we're in Luke chapter 16. I invite you to stand with me this morning as I read. I'll be reading verses 1 through 13. And again, we're reading in Jesus' name. Jesus also said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do, since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. 
I have decided what I will do, so that when I am removed from my management, people will receive me into their houses. So, summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and write fifty. And then he said to another, And how much do you owe? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, Lord God, I thank you for your word and even for this parable that uh, sometimes on its face value is confusing and we, uh, we kind of scratch our heads as to, as to what, what is going on here and what is being commended, Lord, but there's a, a lot we can learn from this. We pray that you would be with us this morning and, and give us your wisdom as we look at this passage. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. How many of you, how many of you have ever applied for a job? Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you've ever applied for a job. That's a majority of us, right? Most of us have applied for a job. And in the business world today, when you apply for a job, you often put together a resume of sorts, right? Uh, and, and putting together a resume can be really hard. A resume gives you one page, right? One piece of paper to sell yourself to your potential employer on. It's supposed to be a short and concise. It's supposed to highlight all of your positive attributes, all of your past job experiences, all of your work ethic, but, but it's really hard to put down everything you did for your former employee in, in a few sentences, isn't it? And even if you can manage to do that, your, your resume never really tells you who you are as an employee, who you are as an individual. Uh, yet in this parable, Jesus gives us uh, a resume of sorts for this manager. And so that's the first thing we see, the manager's resume. And unfortunately, uh, overall, this resume that the manager has is not very positive. Um, the first thing on the resume that would catch a potential employer's eye is the fact that this guy was, was the general manager of a wealthy estate. Jesus begins the parable by explaining there was a rich man who had a manager. And this would have been a very positive thing, right, to have on your resume. The manager, the general manager, was hired by the rich man to take care of his entire estate and to oversee all the rich man's business affairs. He functioned, again, as that general manager, manager doing all the hiring and firing, all of the, the buying and selling of equipment, the, the maintenance, the upkeep of the estate grounds, and, and whatever jobs needed to be done, this manager oversaw. 
he would have had more than likely as well lived on the, the rich man's estate his entire life, dedicating his entire life to the well-being of his master. There's a biblical um, example of this as well. Joseph in the Old Testament, after he's sold into slavery, is promoted to the general manager or the overseer of, of Potiphar's house. In Genesis 39, we're painted this picture. Joseph found favor in Potiphar's sight and attended him. And Potiphar made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that Potiphar had in his house and on the field. And so Potiphar left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of Joseph, Potiphar had no concern about anything but the food that he ate. And the manager in Jesus' parable here in Luke 16 probably functioned in the same way as Joseph did in Genesis 39, albeit dishonestly. The rich man put so much faith, so much trust in his general manager that the only worry or care or concern that he had each day was was eating the food that was served to him on, on silver platters. So functioning as the the manager, the general manager of this estate was a very positive highlight on this rich or on this manager's resume. But unfortunately, it was about the only positive thing that could be found on his resume. We're also told that he was wasteful. He was wasteful. In verse 1, Jesus says, charges were brought to the rich man that this manager was wasting his possessions. And the term waste is, is probably a polite way to translate that Greek word. The word literally, literally means to squander. And it's the same word that Jesus used in chapter 15 in the parable of the prodigal son where the younger son went away and squandered the inheritance that he got from his father on loose living. Then the manager of the estate was doing the same thing with the rich man's finances that the younger son did with his father's wealth. He squandered it. He, he pilfered it. It was stolen and wasted. And somehow, the rich man found out what the manager had been doing. Maybe he had heard the rumors that were flying around on the golf course, or maybe another employee filed a a report with HR or whatever, right? But however it happened, this rich man finds out and quickly calls the manager to task. And in verse 2, the rich man tells his manager to turn in the books, clean out your desk, your time at my house has come to an end. He was fired. He was dismissed outright. There was no beating around the bush for this rich man, no polite way of letting the manager go, right? No, no pithy statements like, your job is being outsourced. The company is moving in another direction. I'm sorry if you've heard those sorts of things before, right? <laughs> but no, the, the rich man put it all on the table, put it all on the line, and he says, what's this I've heard about you? You can no longer be my manager. And the next thing on the manager's resume that we would see, uh, which he's now getting busy uh, preparing, is that he is a proud, arrogant man who's afraid to work. He's proud. In verse 3, we get a glimpse into his character. The manager said to himself, What shall I do since my master is taking away the management from me? I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm too ashamed to beg. A life of upper management has made his hands soft. 
He was used to ordering people around, not doing the work himself. He was, he was way too proud to go beg. He wasn't about to head to the street corner and do that. Everybody who saw him would recognize him as the guy who had been the rich man's manager. He could not bear that sort of shame. And when he was fired, not only would this manager be, be out of a job, but he'd also be pretty likely kicked out of the rich man's house. Most likely he would have worked there his entire life, living in a house that the rich man had provided. But now that he is being fired, the manager has no place to go. He probably had no family because the rich man's family would have become his own. He probably had no friends. All of his friends would have been the fellow servants and the employees of the rich man. And so he realizes that as soon as he's let go, he has no place to be let go to. No family he could rely on. No friend's couch to crash on until he gets back on his feet. When he's fired, he's finished. And so he puts into motion a plan that reveals a little bit more of his less than stellar resume. He is very cunning. That's the C word there in your outline. He's very cunning. He's a very shrewd man. Before he turns in the books, he calls in one by one, so that there are no witnesses to this, he calls in one by one the debtors of the rich man. And he begins to slash their debt. He calls in one man who owes him a hundred measures of oil, which is somewhere around eight, nine hundred gallons of oil. And he cuts the bill in half. The next guy's bill is cut by 20%. And on and on he goes. But as he's doing this, yes, he's, he's ripping off his boss. We, we don't want to lose sight of that. But he's also putting these debtors in his debt. He's doing them favors so that they will owe him favors in the future. And those favors would be real convenient for the manager when he has no place to live. And so we've seen this, this manager's less than stellar resume. He's a, a former manager who's wasteful, proud, and cunning. But the next thing we see in the parable is kind of the one that's hard for us to understand. The master's commendation. The master's commendation. In verse 8, we read this. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness, for his cunning. Somehow this rich man, the master of the house, must have found out all the deals that the manager had been cutting. Uh, even though the manager had, had met secretly with one, each one of these debtors one by one, word still got out that the manager had slashed the debts in order to protect himself. And the rich man figured out somehow that the manager had been lining up all these favors to call in later on. And it's for this foresight that the rich man praised the manager. It's important to recognize that the manager, I'm sorry, the master isn't praising the manager for his dishonesty and for ripping him off. On the contrary, the rich man admired the manager for hedging his bets and for protecting himself after he was being fired. In this parable, Jesus isn't giving us a free pass to be evil and dishonest with our neighbors. This, this parable is no free pass for sinning. 
the master's commendation of his dishonest, shrewd, and thieving manager is similar to when the police have to tip their cap to a, a bank robber, right? Despite having armed guards and the latest security measures in place, somehow the thieves are still able to break in and to rob the bank. Do you remember the, uh, the Oceans movies from the early 2000s? Oceans 11, Oceans 12, Oceans 13. Uh, they were remakes of, uh, of the movies from the 60s that the Rat Pack did, right? Um, uh, same thing with uh, kind of the, the Italian job, which was also a remake from the 60s, by the way. Uh, in, in, anyway, in those movies, you're, you're cheering for thieves and for criminals as they try to rip off and steal from other thieves and other criminals. And despite, uh, despite the theft and the sin that they're openly committing, you, you cheer for them, commending them for the clever ways in which they outwit one another, in which they rob and steal and cheat from one another. And that's kind of the same thing that's going on here in verse 8. The rich man, the master, still got robbed and swindled, but he, but he also had to tip his cap and admire what the manager had done for himself. And again, here's the, the brilliance behind the manager's actions. After he was fired and before he turned in his books, this unrighteous, dishonest, shrewd manager had the prudence to plan ahead for his earthly future. He lined up favors, making friends, uh, hedging his bets, all so that he would have a place to land when he was shown the door. And that's what the, the, manager, or the master is commending the shrewd manager for, planning for his earthly future. And we sort of do the same thing, albeit we don't rob and steal and, and cheat, right? But we, we plan for our earthly future, right? We pay into social security. We get jobs that provide 401ks or Roth IRAs. Uh, some of you are able to participate in your employer's pension plan, right? Our, and our, our planning for the future doesn't just look forward to retirement. Um, it, we make plans weeks, months, and sometimes years in advance, right? A, a wedding, saving up to buy an, a new vehicle. We, we pick out a college. We declare a major. Uh, we even go to the grocery store and pick out grocery items for this week as we plan for our earthly future, right? It's wise and it's prudent to plan for our earthly future. And here's the application that Jesus makes for us today. If this unjust, dishonest, crooked, and shrewd manager can plan for his earthly future, Jesus asks us why we can't plan for our eternal future. It's no secret, is it, that life is short. We're reminded of that on a, a daily basis, whether it's a, a friend or a loved one who recently dies or, or you hear of a, of a tragedy like in Laurel, Nebraska. We're, we're continually reminded that one day this life will end. And while we have time, while we are able, we should plan for our eternal future. And the good news is that planning for your eternal future is a lot easier than writing up a, a last will and testament for your earthly future. Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, said, Now is the favor favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. This isn't something that should be put off until you get around to it or until you feel like it. Now is the day of salvation. And Peter, preaching to the crowd in, on Pentecost in Jerusalem, said, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. 
Salvation, deliverance from sin, forgiveness, and eternal life is only found in Jesus. It's found in his death on the cross, which was in your place and on your behalf. He died for you. His blood covers all of your sin, all of your pride, every evil inclination of your heart, all of your rebellion and running from God. His blood washes you clean of your sin. Now is the day of salvation. Now, Jesus says, is the time to plan for your eternal future. Don't let this day pass. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. Plan for your eternal future. And in this, in this parable of the dishonest or shrewd manager, uh, Jesus, the true master, Jesus, the true master, tells us uh, the story of the manager's resume and the master's commendation. And after the parable ends, Jesus, again, who is the true master, gives us some principles to help us navigate our relationship with money for our earthly future. First and foremost, in the parable itself, right, Jesus encourages us to plan for our eternal future over and above our earthly future. That's first and foremost. But he also tells us how we are to handle money and to plan for this earthly future. And the first principle that Jesus gives is, is found in verses 10 through 12. Uh, it's been a while, so look at these again with me. He, he teaches us to be faithful in the small things. Be faithful in the small things. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. One who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. Oops. If then you have not been faithful in unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? It's easier to wish for, for bigger and for better, isn't it, right? It's, it's often hard to focus on the here and the now and not look too far down the road in our earthly future. We want more responsibility at work or in school. We want the bigger paycheck that comes with that prestige. And we begin to think thoughts like, oh, if I just had uh, that job or if I just had a better, faster car, if I was just gifted like so-and-so, Right? But Jesus says if we can't be faithful in the little things that we've been given, entrusted with now, we won't be faithful in the bigger things later. In order to do the jobs with prestige and glory, we need to be faithful in the jobs sometimes that aren't so glamorous. And this is something uh, the, the California burger chain in and out has figured uh, they've recognized this fact, too. Have you ever eaten at an In-N-Out, right? You've got to be pretty far west before you run into them. I think they have some in Colorado Springs and Denver, but they're all on the other side of the Rockies. They have a very, very simple menu, don't they, right? They have a hamburger, a cheeseburger, double-double, fries, and a shake. About five things, and, and soda, right? Pop. They don't call it pop. They call it soda because they're not from here, right? <laughs> uh, but super simple menu. They also have the, the whole secret menu, you know, four by fours and animal style. I like my fries animal style, but don't put that on my burger. That's just me. Uh, but anyway, every new employee at in and out starts on the same rung doing the cleanup and the janitorial duties. 
And when they've proven faithful at those things, then they get promoted to bigger and better things like working the front counter and then preparing the fries and then being promoted to do the cooking. It's a long road, but In-N-Out has realized that if somebody is faithful in those small, menial tasks like taking care of the trays, washing down tables, scrubbing toilets, then they're going to be faithful with the bigger things. And this is a principle each one of us can transfer, transfer to our own lives, right? If you want a promotion at work, don't be constantly thinking about it or striving for it. Do the job that you have now and do it well. Do all those small things that nobody notices. But in the meantime, continue to do what you have been called to do and, and the small things, be faithful in those small things and there will be a reward. I don't think Jesus is teaching a name-it-and-claim-it sort of theology, but your dedication, your hard work, your, your faithfulness in those small things won't go unnoticed. Be faithful in the small things. And, and the second thing, the second principle that Jesus, the true master, gives is found in verse 13. You cannot serve both God and stuff. He says, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and to despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot love both God and money. And Jesus says, No servant can serve two masters, for you're either going to hate the one or, or love the other. And notice, Jesus says it's, it's, it, that it's impossible, impossible to serve both God and money. He doesn't say it's very difficult to serve both God and money. He, he doesn't even say that it's something that's doable. He says it's impossible to serve both God and money. The word serve that Jesus used there, uses there in verse 13 is, is the Greek word doulos. And it's often translated elsewhere in, in Scripture as slave. Uh, the apostles introduced themselves as doulos, as slaves of Jesus Christ. And Jesus says the reality is that you cannot be a slave in two places at once. Now, many of us have had two jobs at the same time, right? Sometimes you have to do that just to make ends meet, right? But the picture that Jesus paints is much more stark than that. A slave was owned by his slave owner, his master, and the master did not share his slave with another. He wasn't the servant of another. It was impossible for him to be the slave of, of two people at one time. You cannot, Jesus says, be a slave of God or a servant of God in the Lord Jesus Christ and a slave of money at the same time. And maybe your Bibles don't have the word money in verse 13, but it, but it uses the word mammon. And mammon is a, a fun word. It's an Aramaic word that refers to something broader than the cash that's in your pocket. Mammon is the total wealth that you've accumulated, all the stuff that you own, right? Your car, your house, your toys, your lake home, your video game systems, the combines in your shed, all of the stuff that you have. You cannot serve both God and stuff. And why can't you serve both God and stuff? Why can't you actively pursue both God and stuff? Well, there are a dozen reasons why, but uh, just two to look at here. First, your money will run out, right? <laughs> Eventually, your bank accounts hit zero. 
Think of that prodigal son. He lived so, for so long as if nothing would ever happen to him, but his lifestyle caught up with him. Your money, your stuff will run out. It will break. It will get stolen. Uh, you cannot take it with you when you die, right? That's why uh, Egyptians, uh, their ancient tombs are so fun to rob because they thought they could take their stuff with them when they died. But no, it's still there in the tomb. You cannot take it with you when you die. Another reason you can't serve both God and stuff, God and money, is that money will never fill the void. We think that if we have the newest piece of technology or a bigger house or a nicer truck or enough cash to buy whatever we want, then our accumulation of of mammon will, will finally be finished and then will finally be fulfilled and satisfied. But that's a void that can never be filled with stuff. It was St. Augustine who lived about 400 years after Jesus. St. Augustine prayed this. He said, Lord, you have made us for yourselves, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. Our hearts are restless till they find our rest in you. The restlessness that comes with serving mammon, being a, a servant of stuff, will never satisfy. Only Jesus Christ can. You cannot serve both God and stuff. You need to be faithful in the small things and you need, above all, to be prepared for your eternal future. And if you haven't made those preparations for your eternal future, now is the day of salvation. Do not put it off. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, Lord God, again, I thank you for this uh, parable of this dishonest manager and uh, what we can even learn from a, from a thief and from a crook. Um, not to be a thief and a crook, but to plan for our eternal future. Lord, and I pray that as we do that, as we look forward to eternity, that you would convict us of sin in our lives where we need that. Encourage us with the, with the promises of your gospel that our sins are forgiven in Jesus Christ. And if, if somebody doesn't know that today, that they would rest secure in that. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.